Hi, before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about an incredible event that we are running on the 22nd of January called Master Your Music. This event will be perfect for all independent artists and we have seven different masterclasses on different parts of music, including music production, mixing, live performance, songwriting, and a few others. It will be online, so it can be joined from anyone, anywhere. And we have lined up loads of really amazing teachers that are really good at what they do and have gone to a lot of effort to make this a great resource. And like I mentioned, it's free. So do join us. There is a link in this episode. And I just want to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Audient, who have helped us make this happen. So hopefully see you there. This is MPW, MPW, the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are talking to the incredible Simone Torres. So Simone is a multi-platinum Grammy-nominated engineer and vocal producer and also vocalist from New York, and she has worked with loads of incredible, amazing artists, including Cardi B, Jessie J, Dua Lipa, Usher, and so many more. So thank you so much for spending this time with us, Simone. How are you doing? Of course. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, such a pleasure. And and you said you're having a bit of an admin day. It's good to get those in, isn't it? To uh, to kind of um, uh-huh. maybe slow things down if that's what you need. So that's that's good. And how's the kind of start of the week been for you so far? Great. The winter is when, for me, things slow down a bit, like right around the holidays, Thanksgiving, and until after the Christmas break, I get a little bit more free time, which is nice to dive into other things uh, that I want to accomplish. So So that's good. Nice. That's good. That's great. So today we are talking about vocal production, something that you are an expert in, and I'm keen to learn a few things from you. But before we get to that, I'd love to hear a bit more about your background. You know, you've you've developed this incredible career for yourself and, you know, just want to show our audience kind of where things started for you and how you got to where you are before. I can see a few kind of plaques and stuff um, behind you, which is awesome. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I started off as a singer. When I was nine, my dad started an entertainment company and where we would sing at weddings and restaurants uh, every weekend from when I was nine until I went to college. And so I started off just, yeah, in music heavily as a singer. And at that point that that's what I wanted to do, either be a singer or work I knew I wanted to do something in music, and that's what my life was going to be. I decided to go to Berklee College of Music because they had a good contemporary music program. And at first, I thought I wanted to do to be a manager, uh, to be an artist manager. And because I had had a lot of times with different labels where things would almost happen and and all these different weird situations, and I was like, okay, I want to be able to represent artists and be an advocate for artists on that side of things. And so I started studying music business management and I just realized that I was really missing more of a creative piece for me. Like I was missing the 
because I was still singing. I was still gigging like five times a week at that point. And I just wanted a little bit more of a creative piece. And so in all of that time, in the 13 years of me gigging and, and doing all this stuff and recording a lot of things, I never had one piece of music recorded that I was proud of. But I didn't know how to communicate what I didn't like about like the recordings. I just knew that they, to me, they they weren't right. And so I just kind of hit a point where, honestly, I mean, it was at Berkeley when we had to do this scholarship portfolio and we had to get these songs recorded to present. And someone charged me like all this money to hit record twice on these two covers for like tracks I brought karaoke tracks in and they wouldn't put reverb, they wouldn't put tuning or anything. They wouldn't let me try anything again. And I was sick trying to record these vocals. And that was kind of my turning point where I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Because until then, I was just a little intimidated, I think, because I always had an interest for it, but I just thought that you had to know things already. And I was going into it knowing nothing about the engineering side of things. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just then that I was like, okay, no, that doesn't matter. I'm going to pursue the engineering side of things because I want to know how to record myself well. And so I did, and I got into that major at Berkeley, and then I really loved it because I loved the the culmination of, like, the technical side of things and the creative aspect that that brought to the table because I always liked math, and um, my mom's a calculus teacher. My grandpa was the head of his math department, and so it was really cool to, like, go into the technical side of music and, like, why things would make me feel a certain way when I heard them. And so... Yeah, so I started engineering, and then I started working in the tech shop at Berkeley and learning how to build gear and take apart mics and a little bit more behind that, and that was amazing. And then towards the end of my Berkeley career is when I even found out that vocal production was a thing. I had no idea vocal production was an option, was a career, anything, until one of my teachers did a presentation on my former mentor, Ku Carell, in class. And I was like, oh my gosh, who is this person? This is a job. Wow. Like, that's exactly what I feel like I, all of my experience thus far has, I don't know, if I, it just felt so perfect, like vocal production. Like, that's exactly what I want to do. It gives me the technical side. It gives me the creative side. Like, what I've, I feel like I've learned as a singer and all this time, like, wow. And so, yeah, that's when I decided I want to vocal produce. I started vocal producing different people that I was in college with and, but, I mean, really at that point is when I, yeah, I decided I wanted to work with Kook specifically because he's, you know, was the best in his field. And I was like, okay, I want to, if I'm going to do this, I want to work with him and, and work with someone who's at that level with this. And so that's when I decided to try to learn everything that I could so that I could be, so that I could be valuable to somebody like that. So I... Yeah, I started interviewing people that he had worked with before on his workflow so that I could study that and practice it before I met him. In the case I did get to work for him, I would already have like a leg up. And uh, I did a bunch of things like that. And I, I learned how to tune vocals, which was really important to the beginning of my career. And honestly, like the reason that I think one of the big reasons that I was able to advance quickly in my career, I taught myself how to tune vocals by like, singing badly and recording it and like trying to make it sound good or like tuning my friends and just really getting familiar with it. And the reason that people liked me as a vocal tuner was because I tuned like a singer and not like an, not just like an engineer. And so that really gave me a big, big leg up. So 
Anyway, I started Kook. I moved to LA straight out of college, and Kook finally agreed to meet with me after like a month or so. And ever since then, I mean, since then, I started working for him. I worked as his protege and his right hand for five years, and I learned so much from him. And that was incredible. And and that's really where I cut my teeth. And I I I learned just how to do this like at that kind of a level. And then since then, I've now gone my own direction, which is has been really great the last year and a half of doing that and finding my team and and my voice specifically, like the specific things that I bring to the table as the whole human that I am and and with all my experiences. And so, yeah, I mean, I moved back to LA and now I'm just, I'm doing that full time again, engineering, vocal producing, writing. And um, I'm finally going to put out a project next year too uh, of me singing because I was just like, I kept my head down for so long trying to get really good at vocal production, but I still love singing. And so now I've, I've done all these things and I'm excited to just be, I don't know, I feel like I'm like a whole picture of myself now. Now I've like, I've kept my head down. I, I did all these things and now I can just, it feels really good to do whatever I want creatively right now, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. That's uh, such a great journey to hear. And, and you know, one thing that you mentioned about having sort of a terrible experience with uh, with someone who was recording you and yeah and also getting getting some results from maybe vocal engineers and not being happy with it but not knowing what was wrong or how to communicate it which is something that like I hear so much um, at MPW and um, it's great that you use that as fuel to be like okay I'm just gonna find a way around it and which is why I think it's so important now that even if you don't want to produce yourself or anything like that, you kind of need to know the basics if you want the best out of a service that you're paying for even. Exactly. So mm-hmm. so that that's awesome um, that you, you've kind of, yeah, created your own own career from some bad experiences and and kind of found found some power through that. And, and also just amazing to hear the amount of dedication uh, once you knew your goal of like, okay, you were going to work for Kook and, and, and like, uh, and just study his workflow and everything so that you could be as prepared as possible. Um, you know, that, that shows a lot of clarity in, in the way of thinking of, of where you want to get to, which is, which is really, really great to see. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll get into our topic, which is vocal production. And like you said, which is, um, uh, which is you didn't even know if that was a career or what that was. I think there's probably a few people who don't understand exactly what's involved in the job of a vocal producer. So would you be able to tell us what that is in just a few sentences? Yeah. So a vocal producer is like a cross between a vocal coach and a producer. So I help the artist. Uh, I'm coaching them through their performance. It's not about singing correctly. It's about 
singing things that are going to hit someone when they hear it. And it's about the emotion and the performance of it. And so it's what the record needs, the specific recording needs, be that ad-libs, backgrounds, smiling when you're singing a part, singing something brighter, darker, this kind of emotion. I'm coaching through that whole process and taking it from start to finish. Uh, so I take I'm going in, I'm recording all the vocals, producing them, and then I'm delivering that to the mix engineer. Um, okay. So it seems like there's a few different parts of that role, um, I guess. First thing uh, that kind of strikes me when you said uh, you you look at what the record needs, how do you go about identifying that as a vocal producer? Because sometimes it feels like, I mean, it, it's the artist's creative uh, image and it would feel like maybe they're clear on, on, you know, what they're trying to deliver. How do you go about working out what is lacking in what they, what they're doing to give them advice? Oh yeah. So, um, there's so many different ways to approach that question and it's, every artist is different in what they need from a vocal producer. So for example, someone that's like a really big voice, like a really belty singer, a really like powerful singer. For a record that's going to translate to radio, a lot of the times it's about having those moments, but also having moments where you're not going too crazy so that, that those moments can shine, right? Because if you're just doing that the whole time, it's very easy to get, you know, some ear fatigue. And if you want something to be commercially viable, you have to – there's just like a way to craft things so that you have the special moments and the magic moments, right? But if it's riffing all the time – People want to be able to sing along, right? People want to be able to, we need to make things that are going to get stuck in someone's head. So that would be one job if I'm working with a singer like that. If I'm working with a singer who a lot of the times what's happening is I'm getting a demo that has another singer on it. And we, I need to now capture the same magic that the A&R, the artist, everyone's loved on this demo, now on the artist, right? And so if that's a a specific type of swag they need to have, a specific type of attitude, a, a specific type of delivery. I need to make sure that I'm there with the singer helping them achieve that and and crafting that performance because it could be very different to what they're naturally used to singing like. I get what you were saying about like the artist knows their vision, and but the thing is I'm there to be hand-in-hand hand with that because I'm that translator piece of the technicals of what I need to do technically to make what needs to happen happen. And so if they describe something to me, I'm able to then, yeah, translate that into what that means technically. And so, and then the other piece is that I'm an objective third party. I'm a, I'm a producer. And so sometimes it's really easy to want to sound perfect but the beauty is in the imperfection a lot of the times and the magic is in the imperfection a lot of the times. And it's when you're pushing outside of your comfort zone and going that extra mile is when this, the thing happens that's really special that's going to hit somebody. And so that's my job is to like make a really comfortable environment for them, make them feel really safe and make it so that they can give the performance that's going to reach out and touch somebody when they hear it. So it's just, it's a partnership. It's a really big partnership with the artist. Okay. Okay, cool. And yeah, I mean, what you said then on, on the, like the artist does know the vision, but you're kind of working with them to, to bring that out in the best way possible. One thing that, you know, that we hear a lot as well is that 
what comes out in the demo sometimes ends up being really great and and then artists can try and chase that themselves and not really know how to go about it. So I guess there, you know, it would be really great to have a coach to work out what is it in that demo to that really creates the magic that that they're not able to recreate again. A hundred percent. And it's and it's it's also like I'm having conversations with the A and R. I'm having conversations with the producer. I'm having our conversations with the artist. So I'm the facilitator in all of that, right? To make sure that we're capturing the information that we need. Yeah. Okay. And how important is it, do you think, for a vocal producer to be a vocalist? And is that necessary? I don't think it's necessary. I do think it's an added bonus for sure. I think that there's a certain power that, <laughs> like I say power because I just think it's so cool because everyone communicates differently, right? Like every singer that you're going to work with, every every person. And so while some singers want to be communicated with like in just general terms, nothing, you know, not technical, general quick terms, some singers really like to be technical and really like to understand those pieces. And so it's really cool to be able to put on whichever hat I need to for that specific singer. And then also sometimes like the easiest way to explain a certain thing is to sing it. And so it's so helpful to be able to do that. And then they're just like, oh. And so honestly, like I'm really grateful that I'm a singer and a vocal producer. And also like I get to sing backgrounds on a lot of the records that I do, which is really helpful and so much fun. And yeah, it's it's not a necessity for sure. You can be a great vocal producer without it, but it's definitely a big added bonus. Okay, awesome. And uh, and then you know you mentioned you you get involved in the project and you kind of give stuff over to the producer. Is it common for most projects these days to have a vocal producer, or is it just kind of select few? And how you know how does the a or whoever it is come to that decision? Yeah, I mean, so that just totally depends. For records that like are at a certain level and above, there's generally a vocal producer, but it's not always. Like some artists really love to vocal produce themselves and they just have an engineer that they work with and they communicate with really well and they have the shorthand that's great and then it's awesome. But some artists always use a vocal producer. It's a very niche thing, vocal production. And it was super prominent for a long time. And then it kind of went and faded for a little bit. And now it's becoming really prominent again in the last few years. So I, I couldn't really give you a percentage but or how they go about figuring that out. I think that sometimes, I mean, sometimes when I go and I cut a record, the artist has cut it like two or three times already and they can't get it right. And it's my job to get it right. So... You know, that's an easy way that they decide. But then there's also artists that just like I record, I vocal produce them on everything that they do because it's that partnership, right? And so it's, you know, they know that I'm going to get a great vocal out of them and that's what they want to do. So, yeah, it really depends. Okay, okay. And one thing you mentioned there about um, sometimes artists will just work with an engineer rather than a vocal producer. So how would you say the roles between uh, an engineer and a vocal producer are different or uh, all the same? Yeah, so they're they're completely separate things, but 
I do both. So so for me, they're they're really hand in hand, but in general, they're very different. So the engineering part is strictly technical. There's obviously exceptions to every rule where, you know, people will trust their engineers so much that they want them to make creative decisions. But usually creative decisions are the producer and the artist. And the engineer is the person to facilitate all that in the in the technical way that needs to happen. And so that's engineering is the technical, and then the the production is generally the creative. So as a vocal producer, you need both. A lot of vocal producers work with an engineer. I used to engineer for Kook when I worked with Kook. But now for me, it's just so ingrained into what I do that like I have to engineer when I'm vocal producing because it's part of my thought process and and workflow. It's it's a rounded picture for me. So yeah, they're separate, but they go together. They're really important to go together because if the vocal producer, for example, is working with an engineer and they just instructed the artist and something they said clicked and the artist just did an amazing performance, but the engineer wasn't riding the mic pre and now it clipped on the one time that the singer was able to perform that thing everything's bad. <laughs> so like it, the engineer and vocal producer have to have a really good relationship too. And the engineer is so important. Um, just whether or not the vocal producer also does that job is up to them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really clear way to put it that, uh, that the engineer kind of focuses on the technical and uh, without, you know, really having too much creative input and then the vocal producer is focusing more on the creativity and the performance so that that's helpful and then when we actually one thing you mentioned before about you get to get involved in the uh, background vocals and things like that so is that often a choice that's already made before uh, things get to you on what the backgrounds will be what the harmonies will be um, and things like that or is that something that that you create from scratch uh, with the artist? So it's a combination. So it's never, when it comes to me, it's never like, this is exactly what the vocals will be because they're giving it to me for a reason. But there are a lot of the time, most of the time, there are backgrounds from the demo. And most of the time, that's kept intact, either left in, recreated, added to. It's just like it's what we're adding is the question a lot of the time. Sometimes they're they're taken away from and sometimes only parts are left, but it's always something that I'm working with. But no, it's never these are the only background parts that will be there. Here is what you're doing, Simone, because my job is like the whole vocal picture. So, mm-hmm. And the vocal pictures are great. Uh, great metaphor like are you before you get into the whole thing are you taking like a bird's eye view on where you want to get to with the picture of exactly what you want it to look like before you jump in or is it more like you jump in and then you kind of work out what the track needs like do you do you have reference tracks or how does the planning phase of that go yeah and so um you know I have those conversations with the producer I have those conversations with the A&R so when I'm going in and hearing the demo, it also just comes with experience. You just kind of know through those conversations and hearing the demo, you understand what the job is and where the record needs to get to. And so I usually, the way that I work is I, I focus on my leads first and then backgrounds are second. And so we'll go through, get all the leads that we need, and then background-wise, 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've just, I don't know. I just, I just come up with things to do. And sometimes the artist will come up with things to do, but I, I don't know. It's just really kind of second nature for me. So I'm just always like, okay, <laughs> double just these words and just do these. And honestly, it's like, that's like my favorite part because doing things like that really makes such a big difference on the record. Like, I don't know if you've heard, um, uh, I did Billy Porter's most recent, his first single he just put out. I'm, I'm doing his next few as well, but it's called Children. And the background vocals on that are like everything to me. And so, yeah, that was so fun to create. And I'm, I got to sing on that one as well. And I got to, you know, ask Billy, um, okay, can you only sing these parts? And it was so fun doing that because he's so used to, you know, singing like in so many different respects, but not so much studio singing, right? And so he was just like, you tell me what to do. And I'm like, great, you know? <laughs> I was like, I got you. I have everything underlined, exactly what I want you to do. We can cut it quick and go from there. But yeah, it just kind of comes to you. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, no, it sounds really fluid and it sounds like like experience is probably the biggest teacher there. So yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. Uh, good to know. Yeah, when you're kind of vocal producing, you've, you've worked with quite a few different uh, artists now. Is there, are there kind of techniques that you think are really kind of a signature of what you do or any tools that you really love using and use all the time? I think, I like to think that my signature is, I, it's really important to me to keep a really happy, open, comfortable environment in the studios that I work in because a singer is their instrument. So if they don't feel comfortable, they're not going to perform their best, right? So that's really important to me, like lighting candles and like putting up like some t lights, you know, if like, like Christmassy lights, like if that's the kind of thing they like and like, you know, burning some Palo Santo if they like that and like, I don't know, making like a, a good vibe and um, being a blank canvas for whatever they bring into the room if they need to talk or if they want to just get to work or whatever. I'm a canvas for them. I'm not bringing in any of anything that I'm going through into that room. You know, as far as a signature of what I do, I hope that that's my brand. That's what I want to continue to do and what I strive to do is just to create environments that people feel really comfortable and um, capable in. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's such an important part of the process and and how you mentioned to create an environment where the singer is really uh, is really comfortable and and doing things that that they like. How do you go about finding that? Like, do you just ask them? Like, what do you like in in an environment, or do you kind of work that out? Yeah. Yeah, so um, some of it is universal and some of it is uh, like universally, if I'm working with a new artist, whoever it is, I'm going to make sure like there's not stuff all over the table when they walk in that's like random. Like I'm going to make sure that uh, the mic's been tested, like there's no latency, that all the engineering stuff is figured out so that they don't come in, start to sing, and then we spend the next hour troubleshooting like that's like the worst creativity killer. So I, that stuff is really important. But as far as like specificities for people that I work with long-term, like it's just being 
I don't know, paying attention and being a people person. So it's like, for example, if I remember when we were cutting the Rose album with Jesse J and I was just the engineer on that album and Kuk was vocal producing and this was 2016. And I remember Jess would always come in in heels, but then, you know, you want to feel grounded when you're singing a lot of the time. So sometimes she would want to, I don't know, just be barefoot. But then like, she doesn't want to be barefoot. She wants to have socks. So like, I'd bring her socks, you know, sometimes <laughs> so that she could feel. And it's like, it's so silly, right? Or like a sweatshirt. I would bring like an extra sweatshirt. Sometimes I forget who I was working with that I would do that because they would always get cold because it's always so cold in the studio. And singing when you're cold is like the worst thing ever. So it's just for specific people, yeah, it's little creature comforts that you could figure out if there's like a certain snack they like or way they like things. But in general, it's just, I don't know, creating a nice, safe space. And even, I'll go a step further to say that sometimes a lot of people want to be in the room when a vocalist is recording, and that could be really uncomfortable sometimes for the vocalist. So it's kind of my job that if there's a sense of that, of too many cooks in the kitchen, and you can see that the singer is getting uncomfortable by that, or like you can hear that they're like, you know, not being able to give their all, it's my job to say, hey, like, do you mind giving us a minute? We just want to see what we can get and, like, try to, you know, it's my job to manage the energy in the room, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And one thing you mentioned there as well that uh, to manage that, you also make sure you're not bringing, you know, things that are going on in your life before going into that session. I guess maybe that's not as easy a thing to do as as it is to, no. to kind of say that. Is there any ritual that you have to get, you know, to clear your mind before you get into the studio? Yeah, it's really important to me that I don't have, for at least this point in my career, I need to have time for myself before I go into a session. And even like the night before a session, I'm not like running myself ragged or um, I don't know, trying to do anything. I make sure that I get to the studio really early because I want to make sure that all the engineering stuff is taken care of and all the setup stuff is taken care of so that I can just focus on creating and I can focus on the the production piece. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I just take time to myself beforehand. Uh, I can't really, I have to make sure I'm not doing anything the night before or the morning of because I need to be just focused on being calm and being just, uh, a blank canvas. Because, yeah, it is. It's a lot easier to say than it is to do. And to be able to go and because it's a very quick pace that you have to work at. And it's like even like with all the background stuff, for me to be able to like come up with that stuff really quickly, I know that I need to be in a clear headspace for me to be able to do my job the best that I can. So, yeah, yeah, that's just <laughs> what I do. But I started doing yoga too. I don't know if that if I'll keep doing that. I like it so far. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I'm I'm a big fan, big fan of yoga. Yeah, no, that's it's good to good to know. And yeah, I guess like preparation is is so important, and not enough can be said about you know getting good night's sleep and and not um, not kind of having a crazy night uh, before you know you have something important to do uh, in the morning. Speaking of, you know, your the different skills that you've built, uh, you know, especially through working with. Uh, with Kook and kind of going off on your own as well. Are there any specific things that you would recommend 
for someone to build their vocal production skills. You know, may, maybe they don't have access to to certain people or, or you know, what, what guidance would you give? Yeah, so there's a few things that you could do. One is just listen to a lot of music and listen really vocal-centrically. So why is that vocal hitting you the way that it does? So like someone that I used, I grew up listening to was Etta James, and she was always so amazing to me because I always felt every little thing that she sang. And I think about that from a vocal producer standpoint now and like the things that I would say to try and get something like that to happen. I think that being able to just listen to you just have to listen to a lot of music, consume a lot of music and focus on, okay, how would they be making that sound and how does that feel and how does that translate? And then studying records that you love, like, okay, where are their doubles? Where are their harmonies? Where are their ad libs? Like all that stuff, just really start studying and digging in instead of listening passively to those things. And then as far as tuning and stuff goes, I mean, the way that I learned, like record yourself singing bad, Try to make yourself sound like a, a star, okay? <laughs> and I mean, you know, and also just like work with your friends. Like even if you don't have friends that are like singer singers, have them come in. Be like, okay, I want to try to vocal produce you on this cover. You know, like I had a friend. I have this vocal production demo that I show um, when I go to speak at things like Women's Audio Mission or different places that I go to. And it's my friend Martina, who is from Milan, Italy. She has a bit of an accent and she sings classically mainly. She's a very proper, properly trained singer. And I had her sing like a swaggy R&B song, you know, very out of her comfort zone normally. But, and so I show the steps of, okay, how can I get her there? And it's just those kind of things. It's trial and error. You're not going to become great at this overnight. You know, it takes a lot of just kind of keeping your head down, but I say, just do it. If you want to do it, there's so many resources out there to help you record your friends, record yourself, yourself, study the music that's out that you love and what is actually happening there vocally. And, um, yeah, it's a great start. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's uh, good to build from. And kind of going back to your career as well and and everything that's happened uh, for you so far, are you able to pick out one greatest highlight? Mm, one, well, the first time that my first Grammy nomination was a really big career, just kind of pivot point for me. Because it had always been a dream of mine. And when that happened, it was so kind of surreal to me. And so I, I feel like at, that's when it meant, I don't know, I felt like it meant like that I was doing things right. For me, that's what it meant to me. And I had worked like a lot of side jobs up until that point, making it so that I could pursue this. And after that, I, you know, that's like when I was like, okay. And I was able to quit those things and do that. And so, yeah, that was a really big career point for me. I mean, there's been so many, but, yeah, I like it. That Grammy nomination for Record of the Year was, so far, one of my, yeah, most important for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. And one thing that you mentioned there about you were doing kind of a few side things and then you, you, you know, you decided that this is what you were going to do. Can you talk me through 
your mindset then? Because I feel like this is a, a, something that obviously so many musicians are dealing with, like doing music and then doing other things. And then when do you take that jump and, and how do you go about making that decision? So I really think that we can accomplish anything that we want to if we're willing to work hard and sacrifice for it. So the for me... I did so, okay, the side jobs that I'm talking about that I did, I did AV work. So I worked for a company called PSAV, all these different other front of house, you know, AV jobs where either I'm literally in a hotel setting up projectors for conference rooms or I'm doing the front of house sound for big conferences at hotels or whatever, conference halls. So not what I signed up for, not what I like really want to do with my life, but it was really great and I'm really grateful for it because it allowed me to continue to do what I was passionate about and what I wanted to ultimately do forever without putting the financial pressure on it yet. Because when you're learning and you're doing that, you can't just be like, I mean, at least in this industry, unfortunately, you can't just say, okay, I want to, you know, make a full... It's so messed up. I hate saying this, but it's like it's really hard to say, okay, now I want to make a full living from this before you learn, right? You have to learn. And so for you to be able to learn and to take those opportunities that maybe you have to do it for free, maybe it's going to pay a really small amount, but it's going to help for your future, that is really important. And so that's why I'm really grateful to those jobs because I was able to support myself doing that not put the financial pressure on the the music side of things yet so that I could grow it to where then I could be financially um, stable and successful in what I was trying to do. But I think that that's kind of a point that there's like a right way and like, I don't know, that piece is really difficult because I think that a lot of people think, oh, I shouldn't have to do that, which there's nothing wrong with thinking that way, right? But it's going to make your your... Sometimes it makes your journey a lot harder because it could take a lot longer. And if you're able to if you're able to do something else where you can support yourself and not have it take all of your time, because that's the other piece, right? Like you need to have the time to do both. And sometimes it, that's the other version of it. There's like you get something to support yourself while you're doing your dream, but then your dream kind of fades because you're trying to support yourself. So it's really such a balance. And and I will say I had this thing called, it was like this blow-up mattress for the back of my car. And sometimes, like when I was first starting out, I would go and I'd work my AV job. And I had just started working with Kook. And uh, so I would go from there to Rihanna's house for when they were doing anti, like nap in my car for an hour and then go back to my other job. You know, oh my like, <laughs> so it's like sometimes you just have to do what you want to do. But I just, I think it's important to identify the opportunities that are worth it for those kind of things. And then there's some, there are a lot of people out here that unfortunately will take advantage of people that are willing to do things like that. But it's kind of got to be able to see, okay, what's a good thing for me to do this for and fits with my plan that I'm, I've laid out. And that's the other piece of it. You have to make... Making a five-year plan is really important, five-year plan, 10-year plan, and then like break that down into smaller steps and be working towards those goals every day. That's the only way to do it because if you fail to plan, you've planned to fail. That King Richard movie, I don't know if everyone's seen that recently. They emphasize that a lot. Okay. 
<laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of, of that saying, but also just planning and goal setting in general, because I think a lot yeah. of the time people feel frustrated that they're not moving forward, but they have no idea what they're moving towards, um, which makes it really hard to define anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of, that's really good advice. And the flip side of that coin, you know, you you had your Grammy nomination and uh, and everything that came along with that. And um, so what has been the greatest challenge for you, would you say? I think just to be very transparent here, you know, it's kind of you have to get over the imposter, the imposter syndrome of it all, right? And to realize that you know, what you're bringing to the table is important because of all the, ex- it's and it's unique because of all the experiences that you've been through, no one else has. And what you're bringing to the table as a producer, as a professional is worthy and important. And so I think even when, I, before I started engineering, I really almost didn't do it because it was always like, oh, all the guys that were in the department, first of all, super male-dominated. I mean, only like 2 to 3% of producers are female. And uh, so it's mostly men in the field. And and all the guys that were in the program were just like, oh, I've been doing this forever and blah, blah, blah. And I knew nothing. I was like, oh, I'm just a singer. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything about this technical side of things. So honestly, I would say that was my biggest challenge was just kind of getting over that it's okay to not know. It's okay. All this stuff. Like if you work hard, you keep your head down, what you bring to the table is worthy and valid. I love that. I love that. There's actually this uh, saying that I, I've got in in my room with a few others, with, which is one by Jimmy Iovine, which is every room that you walk into is better off that you're there. And I think yeah, that's a really that. nice thing to know that it doesn't matter where you are, you know, you're, you are bringing something of value and to never devalue yourself um, wherever you are. 100%. So, uh, so, yeah, so thank you for sharing that that piece of advice. And it's something that that we hear from so many incredible professionals that, that they've kind of dealt with this uh, before. And a lot of the times they still say they are, you know, no matter what they've done or who they've worked with or, or whatever it is. So I'm sure there's people in the audience that can relate to that as well. So it's good to know that they're not alone <laughs> in this feeling as well. Good. Mm, yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So that's great. And what would you say is your biggest piece of advice for someone starting out in this field? Okay, so I say this everywhere I go, and it's very important. Your pers- your skill set is what gets you in the room, right? But your personality is what keeps you there or does not. And I think that, you know, people kind of can lose sight of that and they just think, oh, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. No one cares. Like at the end of the day, like you're in a room with people for a long time, right? Like making music is supposed to be fun. It's we get to make music for a career, right? And so you can't have that ego and like you just it's so important how you treat people and this industry is really small. And so make sure that like like what you just said, like that the room is better for having you in it, um not from an ego point of view, but like from a like a, a good vibe, like a good energy. People feel, you know, people don't remember like everything that you do or say, but they remember how you make them feel, right? And so make sure that you make people 
feel good, you know? So that's my my piece of advice is just be a good a good human. <laughs> I love that, honestly. Um, yeah, and there's so much to it. There's so much to that of just people like working with who they like and who actually uh, is enjoyable to be around yep. uh, rather than someone who, who drains the energy even if they're, you know, technically amazing at what they do. So, yep. <laughs> Awesome. So before I let you go, we do have uh, some audience questions as well. So we have one from Hannah Music. So she said, uh, what can you do to record better vocals in an untreated room? So focus on, there's a few things to focus on. Mic placement is important. Some people like to think that you always have to go in your closet and, uh, you know, have pillows all around, whatever. But if you're a belter and you go into a small closet and you're singing really loud, like it's going to sound like you're singing in a small closet, right? (laughs) So like I'd almost rather you sing in your untreated room. And so that when that comes into play, think about, okay, where is the ambient noise coming from in my room? Like where should I place my microphone so that like the null point of it, uh, where it's not picking up audio is facing the things that I don't want and where it's facing like there's not like a lot of reflections like right there that the sound is going to bounce off of. And also your mic gain is really important. So for example, if your mic gain is too high and you're singing far away from it because your mic gain is too high, you're going to hear so much of the room, your untreated room that you don't want to hear. But if your mic gain is lower and appropriate and you're on the mic, you're going to hear way less of that room. And so I think it's just paying attention to those little things will help you a lot. And honestly, all the vocals that I record at home, I'm my place isn't that treated. Like I have acoustic curtains, but it's not like a completely treated room. But the vocals sound great because I, you know, you just, you, you figure out how to set up those things that I just, I just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. No, good to, good to hear. And I've heard just, you know, just a few things uh, through your Instagram and things that it just seems like you're recording wherever you are and it sounds just phenomenal. And, you know, obviously you're great at what you do, but that's, uh, that says a lot that maybe you don't need to be in a, in a very expensive studio all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's good to hear. It helps, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And then we we have two questions from Carmel, um, and uh, they were both really good. So I thought I I would put them both in here. So one she asked was, I find it really hard to know when I have enough takes to move on from recording to comping because uh, she struggles to know when to stop. So how how do you work out? You know. Now we we have enough there and how do we move on? Is she speaking from the point of view? Do you have any insight if she's speaking from the point of view of recording herself or recording someone else? I believe it's recording herself. Okay, because that's the piece that's harder, right? Because it's, you don't have that, it's a lot harder to have that objectivity when it's yourself. I will say the thing that I figured out personally where I used to not be able to record myself and because I would just get way too in my head and I would just have a session full of just a million takes mm-hmm. and I couldn't comp anything. I couldn't do anything because nothing to me was ever good enough, right? Yeah. Be- but it's so silly. And honestly, what I started doing was I make sure that 
from the first time I'm singing something, I'm recording because a lot of the times what I like the most is what I first do. And then, I mean, honestly, I don't know, something kind of clicked for me where I, I was able to step out of my head. But I think if you do, uh, it's it's a really, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, I kind of do a combination of I'll sing it through and then I'll also if you're singing it through, for example, right, and you have like five takes of that, you singing it through, 10 takes even, if there are problem areas, right, like there's areas that you're always trying to get, do those specifically. I mean, that's kind of how I record the best. Like I'll sing something through and then I just, I punch myself as I'm going for specific things that I want to get uh, a certain kind of performance on. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it just comes with practice. It comes with just keep doing it because you're going to be able to gain that objectivity. Also step away from it. So like when you're recording, if you're starting to get into that point of, oh, did I do, did I do enough? Is it too many? Go for like a 10 minute walk, go for, go do something else and then come back and listen to what you have. Because if you stay, it's really easy to get to tunnel vision with this stuff. Um, So whatever you can do to create some objectivity will help you get to that place. I know it's not like a complete, regular, straightforward answer, but th- that's a really hard one to define because everyone's different, you know? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And that makes sense. And uh, the, her second question kind of relates to what you said before of like sometimes your favorite recordings are the first one. So she asked, do you re- re-record vocals often and do you or do you prefer to try and work with the original recordings if you really like them, even if there are a few issues there? Yeah, so that's really tough. I kind of have an issue with that a little bit because my first ones end up being the ones I really like. And sometimes when I try to recreate them, it's harder for me to get the same emotion because when I was singing them that first time, I really meant it and felt it. So it depends on the part. So like, for example, yesterday I wrote something that for my project and I, like, <laughs> the first bounce that I did of it was the vocals were, like, from when I was writing it. They weren't, like, completely, like, uh, I don't know, enunciating the words right because I was writing it. I was just making it up. And But I was afraid to cut them again. But I did. And it went great. But then another part of it, I wasn't able to to attack the way I wanted. So then that's when I would just jump into Melodyne and, and start to manipulate it. But then the brain's a tricky thing because sometimes once you do that and you do that uh, manipulation point and you hear, okay, this is what I wanted to do, then your voice can do it, which is – it's weird, but then you're able to do it. And that's like a trick I use as a vocal producer too. Like a lot of the times if people don't feel like they can hit something, you make it for them, you send them home with it, and the next day you try to get it. And most of the time they could do it because it's just you kind of have to get out of your own way. So, yeah, it's it's a mixed answer there where sometimes, yes, like if there's magic in that performance, that's the reason that we have these technical tools, right, to, to fix things like pitch, to fix things like timing, whatever. But if, you know, if it's just a question of being nervous to do it, obviously just do it. Just, just try to record it again and try to put yourself in that same kind of mindset that you were in if you can. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, really good uh, things for us to think about with with those two questions. So thank you so much, Simone. It's been really, really lovely of having course. you here and, and hearing all your insights. And I'm sure uh, our audience got a lot from it as well. So are you going to continue on with your with your admin day or do you have any uh, any other kind of 
uh, vocal things. Oh, I, I think I'm going to finish working on something that I started yesterday. Oh, no. Nice. something for my project, which oh, will be fun. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good when you can yeah, find time for your own creativity because sometimes that tends to take the backseat all the time. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So it's lovely when you can. <laughs> yeah, that's really exciting. All right. Well, I will leave you to it and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Awesome. Thank you so much. You too.